Amen. Well, good morning, church. We are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And now after watching that video, you realize that all of our pastors came out of U-turn. <laughs> you saw all their smiling faces. God is a God of restoration. God is the one who gives us back the years that the locusts ate. And I can testify to that with myself and with our staff who have come out of a background that was not pleasing to God, but God, through Him, all things can be accomplished. And so we're very blessed to be serving you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 will be finishing this chapter, this letter, and it's been a great letter. So we're going to be looking at verses today 12 through 28. 12 through 28. So let's start at verse 12, chapter 5, and read. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the, the faint-hearted or the feeble-minded, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord that this letter be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, right now, prepare our hearts, Lord God. We pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to come into every one of us. To give us ears to hear what you have to say and how you minister to everyone here individually this morning in a unique and special way just for them. So speak to them. Speak to their heart. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. We ask that you bless this time in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. What a great ride this has been going through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 through 5, one letter that Paul wrote to Thessalonica. I entitled the message, Living for God. Living for God. Are we living for God? Do you love Him? Do you realize all that Jesus has done for you? When you understand and really grab onto the fact that I have eternal life. He's gone to prepare a place for me. I'm going to get a new body. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. All things will become new. For out eternity, then I am so grateful and appreciative to what God has done for me that I respond by living for Him. I don't 
just tell people, well, that's just the way I am. Some of us have a bad habit of not letting God work completely in our life. And we blame it on, well, that's just the way I am. No, that's the way you were. God wants to do great things in your life. Whatever you're struggling with right now, no matter what it is, things of the heart, whatever, God can fix it. But only if you yield yourself to the Lord. He's not going to force you to live for Him. You're saved. You're going to heaven, but you still have a choice. You want to live for Him or live for you? I want to live for Him. How can we live for God? Obey His Word. He says, be holy because I'm holy. Be pure because I'm pure. Walk upright. We are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be a light that shines bright for His glory. That when men see our good works, they glorify the Father in heaven. Because why? They see Jesus in you. They don't praise you. They, they say, wow, this guy is born again. He is a believer. Man, I can just see it. He's got Jesus all over him. And how awesome is it when you run into somebody who you haven't seen for 10, 15, 20 years who knew what you were like, and then they see you changed. They're just blown away. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Power of the Holy Spirit moving in my, my life. And so Paul here has been reminding the Thessalonians of the things that God has done for them. And throughout every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, he continually reminds them that Jesus is coming for His church. The rapture of the body of Christ where the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ rise and we which are alive and remain are caught up in the clouds with Him. And so shall we ever be. Comfort one another with those words. Jesus is coming soon. There's nothing holding Him back. I, I really believe, I really believe with all my heart, he could come at any moment. And though no man knows the day or the hour, but the father only, when he's going to say to the, the son, go get your bride, we know the season. We're in the season. We know the times and the seasons. We're in the times and the seasons. But we shouldn't be focusing on what day is he coming. We should be focused on being prepared for that day. How do you prepare for that day? Live for Jesus now. Don't just say, well, that's just the way I am. Get, get over that. If there's something that you're doing that's not of God, don't just say, well, you know, you know, that's just the way I am. God says, get over that. I've given you the power to turn away from sin. God has given us the power by the Holy Spirit to live for Jesus Christ. And we can turn away from those things that are not of God and we can just be seeking Him every breath that we take. And then in the chapter 4, he describes the rapture to, to us so completely. And then chapter 5 warns us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. To who? To unbelievers. Not to believers, but to unbelievers. For he tells us that we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love those promises. The wrath of God that's going to be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world will not be poured out on His church. 
Because the wrath of God for the believer was settled at the cross. Jesus took the Father's wrath on our behalf to pay for our sins that we could obtain salvation by accepting the gift of salvation and asking for forgiveness of our sins. How beautiful is that? So beautiful. So as we close up this letter, he gives us some exhortations. A little admonishment. Little warnings. He says there in verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, who warn you, and esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, whenever I come to the Word of God where it talks about how you should treat me as the body of Christ, how you guys should treat the pastors and the leaders of this church, I'm always a little uncomfortable with it because I'm not seeking anything from you. But the Word of God is clear, so we have to teach the whole counsel of God that you are to care for the pastors, the elders, the deacons of this church. These are people that serve you night and day. These are people that come in super early before you get here. They leave way late after you're gone. And you know what? I'll tell you what. They don't do it for the money. They could definitely make a lot more money somewhere else. They do it because they love Jesus. And they work hard to provide ministry for you and your children to reach this uh, community for Jesus Christ. And we're called to esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. Amen? He says then in verse uh, 14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. (laughs) You know anybody that's unruly? Hey, you know any Christians that are unruly? Have we all been unruly at one point? Yeah. Now look what it says there. Notice that here, i got to make this clear. It doesn't say, pastors, warn the unruly. It says, brethren. What's that mean? That means you're responsible. Not me. I mean, I, I am as, as a believer. But this is my point. If there's somebody unruly, so many times over the years, people have come to me and, hey, you know, so-and-so's doing this and I can't believe they're doing it and you need to take care of that. And the first thing I say is, well, what did they say when you talked to them? And they're like, well, I didn't talk to them. I thought you should know. I go, no. The Holy Spirit put it on your heart to go talk to that person. The Holy Spirit didn't put it on my heart. You brought it to my attention. Now you go talk to them, and if they receive it, great. And if they don't receive it, then come talk to me and we'll go together. (laughs) So you have a responsibility. And so when you see something, guess what? Guys, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Go talk to your brother. Go talk to your sister. We are to warn, admonish the unruly. And we need to do it in love. It's important that we do that in love. Because, you know, here's the first thing that's going to happen when you go to somebody and you tell them what they're doing wrong. You know what they're going to say? Don't judge me. Judgments of the Lord, don't judge me. 
And you're going to say, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just warning you. I see something in your life. I'm worried about you, and I'm asking you to, to make a U-turn. God sent me to warn you. I love you. I'm here to help you do that. I'm not judging you because I know I could be in that same situation one day, and then you might come and warn me. <laughs> when you warn the unruly, you don't throw them out of the church. You warn them. You say, listen, this is the direction you're going. Now, we know unruly could be someone who's in sin, living in sin, someone who's abusive, uh, someone that causes division, somebody that slanders and backbites and gossips. We're called to warn them. And then he goes on to say, comfort the, the feeble-minded uh, or the faint-hearted. I, I like the word faint-hearted because feeble-minded kind of sounds like somebody that's mentally disturbed drooling with their tongue hanging out. I mean, I think faint-hearted kind of describes it a little bit better. It, it's somebody who's discouraged, somebody who's beat down, somebody who is doubting God's love, doubting their salvation, they're depressed, they feel defeated. You've talked to them over and over and over and over trying to encourage them, and so what do they need? A good rebuke? No. They need encouragement. They need love. Because I say that because sometimes you'll deal with that same person that's always just down, always complaining, always depressed, always feeling defeated, and you almost feel like you know they're just not listening to you. And you're trying to say God loves you. God's done so much for you. Look to the finish line. What he's, don't worry about today. Don't worry about what you see, but just trust in God's love for you. And, and it's like they don't hear you. And this, this could go on for weeks, for months. And, and you almost feel like, you know what? I can't handle you anymore. You're not listening to me. You just, you just won't come out of this depression. And you give up on them. God says, don't give up on them. God says, encourage them. Love on them. Pour into them. And he says, uphold the weak. And, and that, you know, there's a lot of people that are just weak and defeated. And they need somebody to come alongside them and encourage them, to love on them, to know that someone cares. You say, well, Jesus cares. That's all they need. I know, but they need a hug. Uphold the weak could refer to being weak in the faith. There's a lot of people that are weak in the faith. Uh, they just get saved, or maybe they've been saved for a while, but they really don't know their Bible. Somebody comes along and throws out some false doctrine, and they just, they just buy it, hook, line, and sinker. Because why? Because they didn't do their research in the Bible. Don't take my word for anything. Acts 17.11, search the Scriptures daily to see if what I'm saying is true. And so many times those who are weak in the faith or young in the Lord are totally ripped off by false teachers who bring in a, a doctrine of demons and lead them astray. And so we are to disciple them. Don't let them slip through the cracks. And often the weak in faith can be somebody who's legalistic. Legalism. Paul wrote about it. He said those that are legalistic are weak in the faith. They're, they're more concerned with straightening out everyone than growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. They lack grace. You know, we're full of grace when we first get saved. Amen? 
We're just excited. It was free. It got handed to me. It's a gift. God's so amazing. And then we get a couple of verses under our belt. And next thing you know, we're, we're eyeballing people. Well, how come you ain't doing what I'm doing? You know why? Because the Lord didn't tell me to do what you're doing. But we get judgmental. We get legalistic. We serve them because we love them. Not trying to earn anything. I'm just appreciative. But we got to get our focus off others and keep it on Jesus. God's going to work in you whatever he's going to work in you. I don't know what he's going to work in you. I know what he's going to work in me. At least I think I do. Sometimes he has to show me for sure because I go the wrong way. But what he's going to do in you, he's going to do something completely different. Maybe similar to what I'm doing, but maybe completely different. So he says to comfort the faint-hearted, to uphold the weak, and then he says be patient with all. <coughs> Why would he say that? Because <laughs> we all lack patience, don't we? Well, I'll tell you what, when I pray for something, I'm expecting like an answer within a minute. Don't put me on hold for five, six months or five years. Lord, I want you to move right now. But then again, we have that running joke that we don't pray for patience because God will give us an opportunity to exercise it, right? So, Lord, I'm praying for patience without the opportunity. Because, you know, it's funny how God will use other people to grow us. And he'll use what you might consider the most obnoxious person in your life to knock off the hard edges that are on you. To refine you for the Lord's sake. So we're to be patient with the unruly. Patient with the faint-hearted, patient with the weak in faith, patient with the legalist. Patient. Why? Because hasn't God been patient with you? I don't know about you, but I, I try to talk to God really real because I know that if I'm not, He's going to say, that's not how you really feel. And sometimes I'm, I like, I want God's wrath to come down. I want to see judgment. But, oh, Lord, be patient with me. And, and isn't it funny how you and I, we're, we, we've, got a, we've all got a little sin sniffing in our life, don't we? You smell that? A little sin over here, a little sin. Up. And you know what? It's so easy for us to see the sin in everybody's life except our own. And especially when I see someone just going out of their way to point out someone's sin and they're doing the exact same thing. And you're like, are you for real? Because why? Because our sin looks worse on somebody else than it does on me. And boy, God's been so patient with me. The word is long-suffering. Are you long-suffering? For the people of God? Are you long-suffering for this community that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what, don't stop praying. I'm not going to stop praying till, it, till it's answered. I'm praying for the Lord Jesus to come. Are you? And every day I'm like, Lord, is today the day? Because one day I'm going to be right. 
Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with us. In verse 15, he says, See that you that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Now, why would he say that? Don't render evil for evil. Why? I mean, can't we like get a little revenge? Every one of you has been wrongfully mistreated at some point in your life, right? And, and there's something in us all that wants to retaliate. There's something in us all. I mean, wow. I, I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times I wanted revenge. I, I like war movies. Pray for me. I like martial arts movies. I like swords fighting. I like, you know, the, cow, the westerns. I like the war movies. I like it when all the crazies are dead at the end of the movie. And the good guys ride off into the sunset. There's something in all of us that wants revenge. And God says, no, vengeance is mine. And then some of you godly ones that know that scripture, you say, Lord, I know vengeance is yours, but send me, I'll go. Let me be your tool, your instrument, Lord. But Paul warns us. It's even a strong warning for when somebody spreads lies or gossip about you. Slander. That's the one that usually takes me out. Because I, I cr- quickly want to make sure everybody knows that's not true. I don't want to defend myself and I want to destroy their character at the same time. I know you're all looking at, at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's a tendency for us to gossip back, to go on social media, to spread rumors and lies. But you know what? The Lord will defend you. So you can talk about me all you please. I'll talk about you when I'm on my knees. And that's tough to do, isn't it? Because there's a part of me that wants to clear my name. I fall short. Part of me wants to make sure everybody knows that's not true, what they're saying. That's somebody that's upset with me. They just spread these lies. It's happened to you. It's happened to me. It's going to happen again. Are you ready for it? Get your armor on. It's coming. And then he says in verse 16, rejoice always. Woo! Yeah, baby. Shortest verse in the Bible. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Nope. You know what? I was right there with you until this week. I was looking at, check this out. I was looking at the Greek and some other passages that were around this one, and I looked at rejoice evermore in the King James, or rejoice always in the New King James, and I realized that it's only two small little Greek words. And so I immediately thought, well, Jesus wept is the shortest one in the English. So I went and looked at Jesus wept. Jesus wept is actually three words in the Greek, and it has more letters. So this is actually the shortest. You can use that. It's a freebie. 
He says rejoice always. Why does he have to tell us that? Because the littlest things can bum us out. Right? Listen, you could be blessed by 2,000 people and one person comes along with a negative remark and it's all you think about. Facebook is flowing for you. And then that one guy from Detroit. How do I take this off? God tells us not to lose our joy. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is based on, you know, circumstance. I'm happy if I get good surf today. I'm happy if I get that job. I'm happy if I get that house. I'm happy if this happens or that happens. But joy, joy unspeakable, is a mindset that no matter what happens here on the horizontal, I got my sights on heaven. Proverbs 15.13 says, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Proverbs 15.15 says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. I like this one. Proverbs 17.22, A merry heart does good like medicine. It's good to be joyful. It's like medicine. It's good to laugh. Laughing is a medicine too. We like to have fun here. We joke around with each other. It's a, it's a medicine. So what he's really saying is don't be a bummer Christian. You know him. You've seen him. That Christian that's always down and complaining and everything is blah, 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 you know. And you avoid him, don't you? Now, you're supposed to say yes, but okay. All right, you can hide that inside. You just push that down, right? Isn't it funny, though, when there's somebody that you really love a lot and they're just so full of joy, you just want to be around them. You want to hug them and you want to get some of that on you. But then there's those ones that are always... Nothing's going right. God's not showing up in my life. I don't have any gifts. God can't do anything with me. You want to come to church with me? No, thanks. I don't want to be like you. See, that's a real bad message to the people outside that don't know Jesus. But I'll tell you what's a really bigger message is when the unbelievers out in the community know that you're going through something horrific and you have the joy of the Lord. Then they're like thinking to you know what? I went through way less than what you're going through and I just melted down and lost it. I go, yeah, because you didn't have the Lord. This is not my home. Just passing through. I'm here to hand you a track, tell you Jesus loves you. I'm done. Keep that joy. How do we keep that joy? Don't focus on what you don't have, but focus on what you do have. Eternal life. That makes it all easy. But wonder if I lose everything today. You won't lose Jesus. He gone, he's gone to prepare a place for you. Guess what? You're going to live with Him forever. New body. Hello. Ah, 
quicker than we think. And then in verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean pray 24 hours a day. You can't. you got things you got to do. But it's, it's like consistently pray. He said Daniel prayed three times a day. Um, pray. It's, it's, it's a constant communion with God. All day long. I talk to him before I get out of bed. I talk to him during the day. I talk to him when I'm facing a heavy situation. I talk to him when I'm getting great things, when great things are happening to me. I rejoice and thank him. It's, it's communing with him all day long, for he wants a relationship with you more than anything. See, you know, it's easy to give someone $50 or $100, but what we won't give them is, their t- is our time. Uh, I really don't got time for you. Here's a hundred bucks. Good, something to eat. Okay, see ya. Unfortunately, we do that with God. Uh, Lord, I don't really have time today to talk with you. Isn't it funny how we make time when there's an emergency? Oh, man. In verse 18, he says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. Notice he doesn't say, for everything. Because that wouldn't make sense, would it? Break your arm in three pieces. Oh, Lord, just thank you, my arm broke. Not in two, but three pieces. Thank you. That's stupid. But, in everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. I've been in the hospitals over the years on many deathbeds. And when it's a believer in Jesus Christ, I rejoice with them. And I see the joy and the sparkle in their eye as they prepare to meet their Maker and step into eternity. And I watch the family pray and give thanks to God. Not thanks for the cancer, but thanks that there won't be any cancer in heaven. Thanks that the one that they love will soon be with the one we love for all eternity. To give thanks in all things. About a week and a half ago, I was surfing out at the Y on a pretty big day. It was bombing. Some of you got some of that. Um, And this wave just smoked me, blew up my board, felt my leash break. I got held down big time. Um, I made it to the surface and, and I saw my board floating by the rocks. And if you know anything about that area, it's all rocky along a cliff ledge. It's kind of really dangerous actually to g- try to go get your board because the waves are washing up. You could slip and fall. I see my board just bent. It's gone. My leash is gone. And then all of a sudden the next wave throws it up on the rocks and it's just getting just blown apart on the rocks. And and, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, well, the fins, though, are worth 130 bucks. <laughs> I go, I really should go get that, right? And I heard the Lord say, don't do it. Leave it. It's not worth it. And I, I realized when I felt the Holy Spirit say that to me is because I'm in my 60s. I got a hip replacement. I'm thinking I'm going to be going along that 
rock cliff and you know, all I could I could slip and just demo my body. I, we used to do that when we were younger, but I don't it ain't worth it. So I swam in and I went home. About an hour later, um, I got a text. One of the young kids that knew it was my board went and got it and texted me that they retrieved it for me and they put it by the garage at the beach house right there on the beach at the Y. I was like, praise the Lord. You told me not to go get it because you had someone to get it for me. But, but my point of my whole telling you this is that when I felt the leash break, when I got smoked by this wave, when I was pressed down and I was just you know, struggling to get to the top, I made it to the top and the first thing I said was, praise the Lord, thank you God. I didn't thank him for the broken board. I didn't thank him for the broken leash. I didn't thank him that those fins were worth money, but I wasn't going to go after that board. I thanked him because I didn't have a scratch on me. That board got destroyed. I didn't have a scratch on me. And at my age, I, I don't bounce back. I just bounce. So I was like, oh, praise the Lord. I'm okay. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, what is God's will for me? And it says it right here in verse 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And in chapter 4, he says the will of God is to abstain from sexual immorality. You can go all through the Bible. If you don't know the will of God for you, just, just read. Read the Bible. Get into the Bible. If you want to know what He wants to do in your life, be asking, and he'll show you. In verse 19, he says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. The idea is do not put out the flame, the fire of God. And throughout the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a flame, as the fire of God. Right here is a perfect example. Don't quench, don't put out the fire of God. Now, there are those who teach that you shouldn't refer to God's fire as a blessing from God, that it's really just judgment. And I don't agree with that one bit. The fire of God has been judgment in the Bible. But when referring to the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, not quenching the fire, not quenching the Spirit, is that we want to allow God's fire to burn in our lives. And His fire not only fuels us, enlightens us, enlivens us, purifies us, you want the fire of God in your life. Remember at the day of Pentecost, when the church was birthed, They were born again. They believed in Jesus. They were baptized into the body of Christ. But something amazing happened at that moment. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They received the gifts of the Spirit and the power and the promise of the Father. And that rested upon their heads as flames of fire. The fire of God. John the Baptist said, and I'll paraphrase this, I come baptizing unto repentance, but there is one greater than me who will come after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to 
loosen and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. That purifying fire. Matter of fact, I typed up a comment from Matthew Henry. I like the way he says it. He says, For it is the Spirit of grace and supplication that helpeth our infirmities, that assisteth us in our prayers and thanksgiving. Christians are said to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He, he, speaking of the Lord, worketh as a fire by enlightening, enlivening, and purifying the souls of men. We must be careful not to quench the holy fire. As the fire is put out by withdrawing fuel, so we quench the Spirit if we do not stir up our spirits and all that is within us to comply with the motions of the good Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and as fire is quenched by pouring water on it or putting a great quantity of dirt upon it, so we must be careful not to quench the Holy Spirit by indulging in cardinal lusts and affections or minding only earthly things. That's pretty good. When Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah, poor guy had no fruit. I would have gave up. I don't know about you. And he, he came to a point where he did give up. He said, I've had it. That's it. I'm not speaking the Word of God anymore. I'm through. Nobody listens. Look how I get treated. I didn't sign up for this. Are you kidding me? I'm done. Finished. Tapped out. And then it said the Word of God burned in his heart and in his bones where he couldn't keep quiet. The fire of God purifies us. It fuels us. It enlightens us. It enlivens us to do the work of the Lord. Matthew 12, 20 Jesus says, a bruised reed I will not break. He will not break someone that's broken. He will, he will patch you up. A smoking flax He will not quench. He will not quench a smoking flax. He will not put it out, but He will breathe on it to ignite it. So how do we quench the Spirit? Uh, by not loving. By not forgiving. Um, by not... Warning the unruly by not comforting the faint-hearted, by not upholding the weak, by not being patient with anybody, by rendering evil for evil, not doing what's good, not rejoicing, not praying, not giving thanks, despising prophecies, not holding fast to what's good. I, mean, I could just go on. Those things quench the Spirit. I heard it said like this. I really like this. The power of the Holy Spirit is to melt the heart of the most hardened sinner. That's what He did for me. Just came right in and melted it. How we need the fire of God in our life. Amen? Verse 20. He says, Do not despise prophecies. You know that a third, about a third of the Bible is prophecy. That's why I'm always amazed when um, I hear of churches that don't teach out of the Old Testament or they don't teach the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, it says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. 
Despise not prophecy. In other words, despise not the Word of God. When the Word of God is spoken to you, and it may affect you to where it touches your heart that you need to change, don't despise it. Change. I love the verses that tell me where I'm doing good. I just don't like the ones that tell me where I'm blowing it. Despise not the Word of God. And then there's going to be times when someone's going to have a word for you. You know, when we do worship and prayer night, Wednesday night, in the Word. We have a time of worship and prayer. And sometimes somebody has a word for somebody. They don't even know who it is. I just feel like the Lord's put this on my heart and and I want to encourage you and let you know that God loves you. It's a word of prophecy, a word of, of encouragement that whatever you're going through, that you're going to get through it. Prophecy. Now, there's some wacky prophets out there. I'm always a little concerned when I see someone who puts in a title of, you know, the prophet so-and-so. I'm the prophet so-and-so. What about you? Well, we're kind of a non-profit, 5013C. I've, I've met some nutty prophets. That's quite a title to put on, to live up to. I'm very careful not to say you know, to everything I feel God's put in my heart, thus say it the Lord, because I, I don't want to blow it. I've, I've watched these so-called prophets get in arguments, start cursing. I've watched them posture themselves like they're ready to punch somebody. I'm going, oh yeah, you're an example of Jesus. Somebody might have a word for you of encouragement. Maybe you're going through something. And they come up and said, the Lord just told me to tell you, you're going to be all right. I remember when Pastor Chuck first took over that little church there down in Orange County and, and the, somebody came and prophesied that a man was coming that was going to restructure the whole program of that church and he was going to reach many people and many churches would come out of it and they would reach the world. And that's certainly what happened. So he says, do not despise prophecy, but test all things and hold fast to what's good. We are to test the prophets. Rather than dismissing them, what are they saying? Is it true? Is it the Word of God? Does it pertain to the Word of God? If somebody comes and says, Thus saith the Lord, and they prophesy something that's truly not what God wants for you because you know the Word of God, you dismiss it. But there's something in us that we don't want to say, well, well, the prophet said this. The prophet's a liar. Test the prophets. <laughs> Again, Pastor Chuck, one time a guy came up to him in his church and he said, you're quenching the Spirit. And I had a dream, and I saw your face in a black casket. You're going to die in two weeks. 
Pastor Chuck goes, nah, I don't receive that because my wife would never buy me a black casket. And two weeks later, that guy died and Pastor Chuck was doing his funeral. And Pastor Chuck said, the prophecy was right, he just got the wrong face. Um, I've shared this before, but um, I remember once being at a 24-hour prayer thing down in Lahui, and we'd have, you know, rotating bands, and uh, everybody prayed for like 24 hours, but we were there once, and Everybody was sitting in an area, and they were praying. They were in their groups and everything, and the band was playing worship, and all of a sudden, this kid with palsy, he was, he was all, like, crippled up, goes out and just starts dancing to the Lord. It was beautiful, and I felt the Lord say, go lay hands on him and pray for him. And I said, uh, No. And all I was worried about was myself, because I knew if I went out there and laid hands on him, everybody would know what I was doing. And if he didn't get healed, I would look so stupid. And the problem was that I was more concerned about myself than God or this kid. And so I didn't do it. And uh, it tore me up later on. And I remember praying and repenting and saying, Lord, um, I will never do that again. You tell me to go pray for someone and lay hands on them, I'm going immediately. And he goes, oh, good, by the way. <laughs> and he told me this man that I knew was really sick, he was part of our church, and he lived in Kapa. and he goes, pray for him. And I go, all right, okay, when I see him at church on Sunday, he goes, no, now. I'm like, he's in Kapa. I'm still negotiating, right? And he goes, go. I, I just felt it. You know, I did, it wasn't an audible voice, but you know what I'm talking about. You just feel it. Like, go. So I went. I called his wife, and I said, can I come down? And the Lord's put it on my heart to pray for your husband. And so I came down, and, and I brought oil. I put, anointed him with oil, and I prayed over him. And, and I finished up, and I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And he just starts violently coughing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do? <laughs> I made it worse, you know? And he's just like convulsing and coughing. And all of a sudden he coughs out this junk. And he goes, oh, it's gone. I was like, praise the Lord. God wants to do that in you. Will you let him? Because he's not going to force you. Will you yield yourself to him? Wow, I am so late. Okay. <laughs> I hope David doesn't need a sound check for next service. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm not going to know. Okay. Um, he says in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. You don't, we don't even want to give anybody ammunition against us, against this church. doesn't matter how the good you do. If, if, if somebody thinks you're doing something bad, it spreads like wildfire on social media. Lies. Abstain from even the appearance of evil. Don't, don't, don't be in a situation where people might even think that you're doing something wrong. 
I know in this church we tell all our, our, our staff, uh, don't ever be alone with the opposite sex in this church. Like if we're doing counseling, like I won't counsel women alone without other people present. And I, and I don't want a woman counseling a man alone without other people present in the area, in the room. Because if they don't like what you hear, they hear, they could go right out and say, oh, oh, pastor or this leader uh, made a pass at me. And, and who, who's going to be able to prove it because it was just you and her? I promised my wife I wouldn't pick up girl hitchhikers because we know how this town likes a good story. Oh, look at pastor driving around with that young babe. You remember years ago when I told you that there was a rumor I was cheating on my wife with a young, tall blonde because they saw me in town multiple times with this blonde hanging on my arm and put her head on my shoulder and it was my daughter. Now, you're not going to stop all that, but, you know, flee from the appearance of evil, right? <laughs> now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am so grateful that God is the one that sanctifies us. He's changing us from glory to glory. He's going to finish the work that He begun. He's going to uh, just present us blameless to the Father. But I like what Paul says here too, because he says, sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. Now, I like that because there's teachers out there that teach that we're only a dichotomy, that, we're only, that human beings are only uh, soul and body. Well, Paul says that we're spirit, soul, and body. Hello? I'm going to believe him. See, the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, we're all about 6'2", 220, brown, long, wavy hair, green eyes, sir, for Jesus, right? We've seen the pictures. That's not what it means. It means that we are made in the image of God, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are a triune being, a trichotomy, made up of spirit, soul, which is your conscience, and body, this carcass, this thing we live in. Here's the thing. We were born dead in our sins. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God said, if you eat from this tree of, of, of good and evil, that you're going to surely die. Well, they ate from it. They didn't die physically. It's like 800 years later they died, right? What did it mean? They died spiritually. And because they sinned, we were born into sin, and the wages of sin is death, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. That means that we were born in sin. That means we are spirit, but our spirit is dead. We are soul. We have a conscience, and we have a body, this container. And when we give our life to Jesus Christ and become born again, the Spirit is quickened. The Spirit is made alive. And now it's activated in our lives. Spirit, soul, and body. Praise the Lord for the activation. Whew. He hit the switch. See, because before that, we were led by our flesh, weren't we? The body said, I want this. We said, how much do you want? The body said, go do this. How many times? 
And then when the Spirit got activated, we're no longer led by the flesh, we're led by the Spirit. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then it says there in verse uh, 24, He who calls you is faithful who will also do it. Isn't that good news? Who's going to finish the work in you? Not you. Jesus. Philippians 1.6, Be confident in this very thing that he that begun the good work will complete it until the day of Christ. That's good news. Now let me wrap this up. I'm so late. Uh, brethren, pray for us. Pray for this church, guys. Pray for me. Pray for the leaders. How many pray for your food? Get me in that prayer. Just, you know, thank you, Lord, for this food and bless Pastor Steve. I know I'll get three prayers today. <laughs> he says, greet, greet all brethren with a holy kiss. Make sure it's a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the holy brethren. This is when it first started to exchange these letters to, to encourage the church at large and that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Great stuff. Great stuff. Father, we thank you um, for just uh, exhorting us, Lord, admonishing us, reminding us that we can do all things through you and that if we yield ourselves to you, that you can work powerfully in us and through us. And so, Lord, would you, uh, would you bless us now? Lord, bless the event tomorrow as we are looking to have all hands on deck, every service to be out there loving on people, loving on the community, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus tomorrow. Lord, empower us right now, and uh, we just thank you for your love and ask that you bless. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.